Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. You got to get it done. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Holy cow! Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Well, here we are again. Glad to see you can make the thing. We have a lot of news to talk about. Good thing I brought a full cooler. Baseball is really heating up, and we have yet another suspension. So, let's waste no time. Let's talk sports. Gentlemen, start your engines. Here's the snap. Romo looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! The rumors are true. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Crying? There's no crying in baseball. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? British young Cinderella is coming out of nowhere. He's got about 350 yards. That he's going to get about 500. He's got a beautiful dash. Oh, he got all of that one. Moment to, to me. Uh, and 
I didn't get to see the game, but I went back and looked at some clips, and I saw the opening uh, clip uh, of Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. coming out of the corn and doing their own want-to-have-a-catch moment, and then all the children and the parents that came onto the field uh, playing catch in the outfield. I, I, I don't know who thought of that, whether it was MLB, whether it was Fox Sports. Um, I don't know who. All I've got to say is kudos. Big time hit with me. Uh, I know I'm not the be-all, end-all critic of everything, but that just struck me as that that's the way you do That is why baseball is played. That is what fans come to see. Baseball generating in life. And that, that, that was just fun. We'll talk a little bit more about the Field of Dream game uh, later. Uh, Talking Sports on the Bleachers is a part of Gateway City Sports Network. And at Gateway City Sports, you can find articles on sports around the city of St. Louis and the Bi-State area. You can also check out the other podcasts. If you're a Cub or Cardinal fan, uh, then check out the Team of Rivals with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey. You also have the Derek King Sports Show. We're looking to add a, add a few to the lineup, and a few that are going to be coming back. So stay tuned and keep looking. Uh, we're going to have something. Now, if we don't cover something that you like or that you want to see or you want to hear about excuse me let us know about it uh we'll do what we can to make to uh try and get somebody to cover that get it on the air uh and uh i hope uh hope you'll check us out and give us a look see so let's start with pro football uh and the preseason has started and we already have a dispute uh, during the game Sunday between the Chicago Bears and the Kansas City Chiefs, many people noted that the field at Soldier Stadium was not up to NFL standards, standards as it had uh, divots and some uh, bear spots and things of that nature. Um, uh, NFLPA President uh, J.C. Treader questioned the field's readiness. He posted on Twitter that, uh, yeah, I like that, Treader posted on Twitter. Okay, that was okay. Uh, the NFL said that the field. Said, he wrote this. The NFL said that this field met minimum testing standards. We clearly need to reevaluate what is an acceptable surface for players to compete on. He went on to say, we need new testing metrics looking at the performance and safety of every field. The NFL can and should do better. Now, I've looked at some of the pictures uh, on the field, and they yeah, it kind of looked like somebody had been playing golf on it. <laughs> it, looked, it looked terrible. Uh, I don't know how it was, how bad it was as far as being able to play on it, but it, it just didn't look good. See, and I remember back in the day when baseball and football teams shared stadiums, and it was before AstroTurf. So you had... Uh, the infield, the skinned infield part, the base pass, and the pitcher's mound, um, you know, were just nothing but dirt. Um, you know, and clearly it wasn't safe, but they, you know, we didn't care back then when we were watching the sport. I mean, you know, uh, and of course, oh, it really did give a new meaning to, the, or the real meaning to four yards in a cloud of dust when they got to that part of the field. Uh, but, it, you know, you would get the rain or the snow, um, uh, or excuse me, rain mostly, and it would, 
that that part of the field would turn to mud, you know, and then you've got the problems with so the you know astroturf was the was the answer to that for those multi-use stadiums back then. Um, now Bears coach Matt Everplus. Uh, was non-committal. <laughs> Imagine that when he was asked about it, saying, "I'm new here, so I don't know the situations, but I know the guys are trying to do their best, and the playing surface was passed by the NFL for us to be on. I thought it was firm and it was good, so that's where we'll leave it at." Now, quarterback Bears quarterback Justin Fields had a little different take on the situation. <laughs> As uh, Justin Fields said uh, when he was uh, asked about it, he said, "The gra- I'll just put up this part of the quote, the grass could definitely have been better for sure. Uh, so, now Andy Reid, uh, not to be outdone, Coach Reid, had his this comment to say, a lot better than the high school field. And he added, not much. <laughs> Now, I can't believe we're talking about the field conditions in a preseason game. I just don't understand. That's funny. Anyway, Soldier Field does not have another preseason game scheduled for this season, but their first game is September 11th with the San Francisco 49ers, so hopefully they'll have their field in shape by then. Uh, going to the Deshaun Watson scandal or suspension or case or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Watson played in the Browns preseason game against Jacksonville Jaguars. Watson has been given six-game suspension, but is allowed to participate in preseason drills and exhibition games. Uh, the NFL, a.k.a. Roger Goodell, uh, chose Judge Sue L. Robinson to oversee the case, and she handed down the six-month or six-game, excuse me, suspension, saying it was in line with the current CBA and past cases of this nature. Now, however, the NFL is now appealing that decision, which I'll get to this in a second. But they're appealing the decision, and it means they get to pick a different person to hear the case and have give a ruling. Now, Goodell and the NFL seeking seeking a year-long suspension. Uh, Earlier reports did say that they were seeking indefinite suspension, but evidently that's kind of backed down a bit. But I'm sorry, and I'm not in any way condoning or minimizing what Watson did. I mean, if he, if even half of the reports are true, uh, what he did is reprehensible. I mean, it's totally wrong, Uh, not acceptable in this day and age, or in any day and age, really. Uh, but I will have to say, though, that when the prosecutor picks his own judge, and that's what the NFL and Goodell would be able to do, they're able to pick their own judge in this case. If that's happening, you are not going to get a fair outcome. Not in the least. I don't think so. I mean, they kind of, I, I think they got the fairest outcome uh, they could have with Judge Robinson. Uh, but Goodell doesn't like that, so now he says, I want a, I want a different person to hear it. Now, Watson uh, talked with CBS Sports, uh, and I'm going to butcher this name, and I apologize to the man, Aditi Kinkabawala. He specifically asked him about Robinson's note in the hearing. Now, Watson's, uh, and that note was saying that uh, 
uh, he showed a great lack of remorse for his actions. Now, Watson had this to say about that. I'm truly sorry to all the women that I have impacted in this situation. He said that my decision that I made in my life that put me in this position, I would definitely like to have it back. I want to continue to move forward and grow and learn and show that I'm a true person of character. I want to keep pushing forward. In a meeting in Minneapolis, uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell recently called Watson's actions as egregious and said the quarterback represented predatory behavior. It was his attempt to explain the league's push for, an equal, for the, the uh, pending appeal. Now, Watson has said he would accept an eight-game suspension and a $5 million fine, uh, but look for that to be rejected or basically not even considered by the NFL. The appeal is now in the hands of former New Jersey Attorney General Peter C. Harvey, who was personally appointed by Goodell. Uh, so pardon me here, but folks, the fix is in. And Watson, if Goodell has anything to say about it, uh, Watson will not play this year. Just, just I think you're going to have to bank on that. Um, that's just the way it looks. I'm, I'm sorry if for those who are fans of the Browns or fans of Watson. Uh, Goodell's got it in for him. I think Goodell wants to make an example of uh, young Mr. Watson. In the world of golf, they started their postseason. It tipped off with the St. Jude Championship. And it did take three extra holes, but Will Zalatoris emerged from the fray as the winner. Uh, the St. Jude played at TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee, is the first stop in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Zalatoris squared off in the extra holes against Sepp Straka. Uh, Zalatoris started the event 1 over 71, but would have rounds of 7-under, 5-under, and 4-under to go 15-under for the event in regulation. Straka, meanwhile, started strong with the 6-under 64 right out of the gate and played solid golf throughout the round, throughout with rounds of 66, 68, and 67. Uh, both men were uh, parred in the first hole. Uh, the second hole is where it got something somewhat interesting is both men having bad luck off the tee, Zalatoris having to hit around a tree uh, when his shot went to the right and had a temporary fence that kind of kept his uh, uh, backswing down, uh, he did not ask for, nor was he offered, a drop or consideration. Uh, so he went with what he had. Uh, meanwhile, Straka uh, just missed going into the water, but the ball was unplayable uh, as it would have required him to basically stand in the water and try to hit. So he took his drop. Uh, he did manage to hit the approach shot from that drop within seven feet of the pin, though. Uh, Zalatoris would, uh, uh, after he got out of his situation, uh, make a 14-foot par putt, and Straka would match that with his seven-foot putt. Then on the third hole, it even got weirder. Uh, Zalatoris, again, straight off to the right, where it would uh, roll onto a rock wall, but not roll off into the water. It would kind of roll down and come to rest against the wall. Now, Straka, at that point, you would think, had the tourney in his grasp. All he had to do was hit a nice, clean shot, and he's gold. Well, <laughs> he took the same route as, as uh, Salatoris, only his ball 
would hit the water. It found the bottom of the pond. Uh, this would cause him to have a drop. His next shot landed in a bunker, uh, which he hit out of and had a four-foot putt for a double bogey. Now, Zalatoris was trying to avoid the drop, but finally decided to let discretion take over, and he did drop, so that put him a uh, penalty stroke down. He was sitting two uh, after his first shot. After his drop shot, he hit his approach within seven feet for a bogey putt and the tournament win. It was Zalatoris' first PGA win. On the ladies' side, the ladies played across the pond, as it were, in the ISPS Handa World Invitational presented by Aviv Clinics. Uh, the event was held at Galgorm Castle Golf Club, Masserine Golf Club, in Antrim, Northern Ireland. Marja Stark won the event, going away, shooting a 20 under 272 for four rounds. Her nearest competitor, competitor was Allison Corpus who was 15-under for the tournament. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I've never had that experience where I've played, where I've been, been on the golf course and, and been in a competition and not had to worry about those around me. Uh, seems like I was always stressing out about somebody. But, uh, you know, when you're playing like it, there's no pressure, there's no stress. Kind of reminds me about buying a car from Fifth Street Motors. Because, you see, at Fifth Street Motors... Located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, they will help you find a vehicle no matter or you need no matter what brand, and that's no stress. Fifth Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. Again, no stress. So why not give Brandon and Don a call today? 573-259-1306. Tell them Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. From buying a car to racing cars. In NASCAR, Kevin Harvick made it two wins in a row. Now, last week, Harvick's first win uh, in almost two years was at the Indy Road Course. This week, he showed he wasn't through as he won the Federated Auto Parts 400 at the Richmond Raceway in Richmond, Virginia. Joey Logano would dominate most of the race, but Harvick would overtake him with about a quarter of the race to go, or 100 laps, something around there. Using pitch strategy, uh, Chris... Buescher, uh made a pit stop with about 60 laps to go, giving him an opportunity to gain ground. Uh, but Christopher Bell kind of waited there and pitted 12 laps later and was faster down the stretch than both Buescher and Harvick. But Harvick would be able to hold on for his 60th NASCAR, NASCAR win, which ties him for ninth all-time with Kyle Busch. Let us turn to Major League Baseball. And, you know, um, how do I put The Padres, you know, last week they thought they had the world won. I mean, uh, they had just picked up Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Brandon Drury, Josh Hader. Ta Fernando Tatis Jr. was due to be coming back soon. So you were looking at a, a potential murderer's row of Bell. Machado, Soto, Tatis. Uh, but as the, in the old uh, laughing days, the fickle finger of fate stepped in, and Fernando Tatis Jr. has now been suspended for violation of, the, of uh, Major League Baseball's PED policy. 
San Diego Padres star uh, shortstop tested positive for the performance-enhancing drug close to ball. Um, and as per now per the MLB joint drug agreement, Tatis receives an 80-game suspension. Uh, the Padres released a statement saying this, We were surprised and extremely disappointed to learn that Fernando Tatis Jr. tested positive for a performance-enhancing substance in violation of Major League Baseball's Joint Prevention and Treatment Program and subsequently received an 80-game suspension without pay. We fully support the program and are hopeful that Fernando will learn from this experience. Before Tatis can serve his suspension, however, he has to be activated from the injured list that he's been on, uh, and which hadn't happened yet. Uh, he was getting ready to do his rehab starts. With so much little left in the season, you know, he won't be eligible if the suspension, when the suspension, suspension, <laughs> that's hard to say, when the suspension kicks in, uh, he will obviously not be able, eligible for the playoffs. Um, so, you know, it becomes now, um, and, and, and you look at what he will miss. They've got 48 games left. I don't know. I did not check today to see if they had activated him yet. Uh, but uh, you figure it's going to be at least a month or more into next season because I do not believe if he's on suspension, I do not believe he would be allowed to participate in spring training. So that would put him at least a month behind. So don't expect Tatis Jr. in the Padres lineup till I'm saying probably June next year, between May and June. Somewhere between May and June next year is when you'll see uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, Tatis did release this statement. Uh, I've been informed by Major League Baseball that a test sample I submitted returned a positive result for close to ball. I should have used resources available to me in order to ensure that no banned substances were in what I took. I failed to do so. I want to apologize to Peter, Al, and the entire Padres organization, my teammates, Major League Baseball, and fans everywhere for my mistake. I have no excuse for my error, and I would never do anything to cheat or disrespect this game I love. Uh, I have a little question about that with some of his bat flips and actions, but we'll let it go. Um, I have taken countless drug tests throughout my professional career, including March 29, 2022, all of which have returned negative results until this test. I am completely devastated. There is nowhere else in the world I would rather be than on the field with my teammates. After initially appealing the suspension, I have realized my mistake was caused by was the cause of this result. And for that reason, I have decided to start serving my suspension immediately. I look forward to rejoining my teammates on the field in 2023. Now, as I say, uh, I do not know if he has actually been activated so we can start serving the suspension, but I would assume the Padres are going to use every opportunity to get him back on the quote-unquote active roster so that he can be suspended. Now, Tatis is in the second year of a 14-year, $340 million contract, and the Padres are in the middle of a wild card race. 
Currently, after Sunday's action, they were five and a half games behind wildcard leader Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves and a half game lead over third spot occupied by the Philadelphia Phillies. The Milwaukee Brewers are a game and a half behind the Phillies. So they are in a little bit of a fight. I mean, they've got two teams that they got to watch out for that are within striking distance. I think the Giants are about seven games back, so they are probably, probably out of it. Um, but you never can tell. Um, now, one would have to think that the Padres are envisioning having a having that substantial murderer's row, as I had said, with Tatis and with Machado already on the team, and then you add Soto and Bell, and, uh, you know, Brandon Drury's no stops. He's a 20-home run guy, you know, so he's somebody you can put in the lineup, um, you know, to, to, to give Tatis a rest on, on the field and still keep Tatis's bat in the game as a DH. You know, Drury's one of those types of guys that he's he's got the ability to do damage uh, in the lineup. So, you know, I think they were looking at this. And then, now, before you guys start having pity parties and crying towels, get the crying towels, do not cry. You know, you know the old song, do not, don't cry for me, Argentina. Don't cry for the San Diego Padres, okay? They are still going to be good. Uh, and, and they may still, like I said, look at the names I just mentioned. They still have Bell. They still have Soto. They still have Machado. They still have Drury. Cronenworth. This team is not going to be severely hampered by the uh, Tatis suspension because, quite frankly, they've been playing without him all year anyway. So, you know, it's just no big deal. Uh, the Detroit Tigers uh, fired executive vice president and general manager Al Avila. Uh, they did that last Wednesday, August 10th. Avila has spent the last seven years in the front office for the Tigers uh, and 22 total years uh, with the Detroit organization. Uh, he took over for Dave Dombrowski. Uh, Tiger chairman Christopher Illich said in a statement, Al's loyalty and dedication has served as an example to all during his time as a leader in our baseball operations department. I will oversee the search process for our next baseball operations leader in collaborations with several members of our baseball and business operations executive teams. Now the Tigers are 43 and 68 this season and Illich decided it was time to make a change. Illich also said that I want to reestablish our momentum and progress toward building a winning team and I am driven to find a talented executive to help us do that. Now Already names are floating around, and you know it always happens. Somebody gets fired, and names start floating around. Um, here are five names, and these were uh, I think in the CBS dot com, uh, CBSSports.com uh, report, as the five names who are considered uh, front runners for uh, Avila's job. Uh, Dana Brown, vice president of scouting for the Atlanta Braves. James Harris, assistant general manager of the Cleveland Guardians. Billy Owens, Assistant General Manager of the Oakland Athletics, Pete Putilla, Assistant General Manager of the Houston Astros, and Cardinal fans, grab on to your whatever you got to hold on to, take a seat. Uh, Randy Flores, Director of Scouting for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, nobody knows that these five are absolutely on the list. Uh, that's just what's being reported. Um, Nobody really knows, and no timetable has actually been given uh, for Avila's replacement as of this date.
Now on some brighter news. The Little League World Series is about to start August 17th through August 28th, and it's home in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, uh, at Howard J. Lam Lamedy Stadium and Little League Volunteer Stadium. Uh, this year will be the largest field uh, in the called in the Little League World Series with four teams that have been added. Uh, international teams will be competing for the first time since 2019. Uh, there was no game in 2000 or no uh, tournament in 2020 due to the pandemic, and in 21 international teams were not allowed into the U.S. Uh, again because of the pandemic. So. Now, the teams this year from the United States are, from the Great Lakes region, it will be represented by Hagerstown, Indiana Little League. The New England region will be represented by Middleborough, Massachusetts Little League. Northwest will be represented by the Bonnie Lake, Washington Little Summer, or Summer Little League. Uh, the Northwest represented, excuse me, the Metro represented by Massapequa, New York Coast Little League. Uh, the Mid-Atlantic will be represented by Holidays, Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania Area Summer Baseball League. The Midwest will be represented by the Davenport Southeast Little League. Um, Mountain will be represented by the Santa Clara, Utah Snow Canyon Little League. Uh, in the Southeast, the Nolensville, Tennessee Little League will be their representative. Uh, in the Southwest... Uh, Pearland, Texas Little League will represent them. And in the West, the Honolulu, Hawaii Little League. Now, the international group will feature the Asia-Pacific, uh, Taipei City, Chinese Taipei, Fulin Little League. The Australia-Queensland uh, will be Australia-Brisbane, or excuse me, Australia will be represented by the Queensland-Australia-Brisbane-North Little League. Canada, uh, the Vancouver, British Columbia, Little Mountain Little League. Uh, the Caribbean were represented by the Willemstead, Curacao, Pablo Little League. Uh, Europe will be represented by, or Europe and Africa, excuse me, by the Bologna, Italy, Emilia, Romanjana Little League. Uh, Japan will be represented by the Takazuka. Takazara, Taka, oh, excuse me, Takarzuka, Japan Little League. The Latin America will be represented by the Managua, Nicaragua, 14 de Septiembre Little League. In Mexico, the Mexico uh, group will be represented by Matamoros, Matamoros Tamaulipas, Mexico Little League. Uh, Panama by the Aquadis, Panama, Cabezera Little League, and Puerto Rico will be represented by the Guanabao Puerto Rico Little League. And the last few years, uh, I think the last, uh, up until the pandemic, uh, uh, the Asian Pacific and uh, uh, areas have been quite... Uh, Asia Pacific and Japan, I should say, have been have been kind of dominating what's going on. So, but good luck to all the teams, and hope those kids have a lot of fun. One of these days, I do hope to get out there. I mean, that that uh, I've seen some of the games on TV before, and it just looks like it'd be a fun, fun thing to do for a couple of days. Go out there and watch some little league baseball. Uh, but if you want to watch the games, 
and it'll be broadcast on ESPN, ESPN2, and ABC, or you can stream it live on Fubo TV. Check your local listings. Oh, I'll tell you what. You know, one thing that I think many parents worry about is protecting their kids at an event like this. I mean, you stop and think of You've got people from all over the world. Um, you've got, I don't know how many, tens of thousands of just spectators and and family and friends and, and uh, you know, all sorts of people that are going to come to this thing. So uh, I just can't imagine... Uh, what some of those parents are going to be going through, <laughs> you know. I mean, kids on the field, that's great, but what about, uh, you know, uh, little brother Johnny, little sister Sally, uh, you know, they got to keep an eye on them in such a large crowd. And, but we all know how important it is to stay protected. And, you know, sometimes life throws you that curveball, and that's when you need all state. Well, the Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance. They also offer investments and much more. They have a customized approach that's unique to your situation so that they can make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. So give Sean and his team a call today at 636 764 6294. Now they'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone. Yep, that's what I said. Over the phone. Now even give them a call if you just want to talk sports because you know what? They'll do that too. These guys are awesome. I wish I lived in Missouri so I could, you know, they could be my agent. Uh, even as I say, uh, uh, we all have busy lives. I mean, you know what I know. You know, get the kid, and especially this time of year, the kids are getting back into school, so you're running around, uh, getting new clothes, getting school supplies, getting them ready for school. So you can email Sean, and that address is seanwiley at allstate.com. And talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Uh, now, I mentioned the Field of Dreams game uh, earlier at the top of the show here. and This year was the second Field of Dreams game held in the ballpark surrounded by cornfields in Dyersville, Iowa. Now, last year was the New York Yankees and Chicago White Sox. Fantastic game, ending up with a walk-off home run by Tim Anderson. The atmosphere was electric. I saw the game on TV, and you could even feel it through the television. I mean, you could just feel how, how that... The people there were—they knew they were witnessing something special. Uh, you know, players coming out of the cornfield. You had Kevin Costner, you, and you know, then after the game uh, for the rest of the and the rest of the season, you know, the, both the White Sox and the Yankees ended up in the playoffs, and it was just a uh, uh, fantastic event. Now, this year's version lacks two, or even for matter of fact, one team that's going to reach the playoffs, as it featured the Cubs and the Reds. Uh, the excitement, though, of seeing baseball without all the fancy trappings of the big city or the huge 40,000-seat stadium, because the seating capacity in Dyersville is only 8,000. That's 8,000. Uh, and you have the opening, as I said earlier in the program, of the Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr., uh, you had Ferguson Jenkins throwing out the first pitch to Johnny Bench. 
I mean, Hall of Famers. You had everything. And they even managed to bring back, albeit by hologram, Harry Carey to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Now, how flipping cool is that? I mean, give me a break. You can't, you, you, I, I can't. Uh, I, I'm going to say uh, kudos to, to Major League Baseball, to Fox Sports, and uh, uh, those fans that were that were able to be there, uh, I, you know they were treated. Even though the game was not probably as, as prolific as it was uh, last year, you know, to be there in that setting, it's just I can't imagine what it would be like. One of these days, I have got to try to get to that game. Hopefully, they'll be having it in the, someone sometime in the near future, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Game is not high scoring last year, as I said. Uh, no, no baseballs landed in the corn, except in batting practice. Uh, <laughs> now the Cubs won the game four to two, uh, doing the majority of the damage in the first inning with uh, two outs. Starting pitcher Nick Lodolo hit Patrick Wisdom with the pitch. Cia Suzuki drove him home with a double to left field. Nico Horner then singled him home, singled scoring Suzuki. Ian Happ then doubled home or doubled plating partner, or excuse me. Doubled, doubled home, Horner, plating the third run. Um, the Cubs would strike again in the fourth when back-to-back singles by Nelson Velasquez and P.J. Higgins had runners on first and second with one out. Nick Madrigal singled the score of Velasquez. Now, Cubs pitcher Drew Smiley blanked the Reds for five innings and only four hits, uh, walking two and striking out nine. Uh, the Reds would get on the board in the seventh, Jose Barrio led off with the inning with a double against Cubs reliever Michael Rucker. Rucker then walked pinch hitter Jake Fraley, and then Matt Reynolds uh, hit a double, plating both uh, Barrero and Fraley for the only two red scores. Now, I mentioned hopefully it'll be here in the future. Uh, for those of you thinking this is going to be an annual event, uh, that still may happen, uh, but it won't be next year. They're going to be not playing there next year. Uh, Frank Thomas, who is part of the ownership group, told the Des Moines Register that due to construction, there will be no game in 2023. Now, the plans are to put youth, baseball, and softball fields at the site and dormitories for the teams. Plans are also for a, uh, include a boutique hotel and a permanent facility for the Field of Dreams game. See, the, the current facility, while there is a, a field out there, uh, it is mostly temporary, and much of the ballpark, especially the seating area, is taken down after the game. Uh, however, Major League Baseball will still be playing a role in, after this. At least that's the, according to the feasibility study that uh, was done, and it projected the site could draw 136,000 visitors per year, create 81 jobs, and host 62 events per year. This would generate approximately $9.1 million after the first year the stadium is built. So now while there will be no game next year, it is, uh, well, let me backtrack a quick second. Uh, a lot of that projection, though, is based around Major League Baseball being there for that game, for that game or in making it a, playing the, uh, an entire three-game series there. I, I don't know what the plans are or how this feasibility study was working, but you know, I would actually kind of, if they're going to go that route down the road, I would kind of like to see them play a three-game series at that uh, venue, if you will. 
Um, so, uh, so while there's no game next year, I think Major League Baseball is still going to be very prominent uh, in Dyersville, Iowa. All right, I want to end up today talking about the Cardinals. So, hang on to your hats, boys and girls. This this, this could get long. No. <laughs> uh, first, though, there's a little bit of a revisit to the trading deadline. As I said last week, the front office did what they needed to do. They filled needs. They took care of the rotation. And that has been evident with the pitching performances of Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery. Now, since joining the rotation, both have pitched two games. Quintana is 2-0. Montgomery is 2-0. Um, uh, Quintana has pitched 12 innings, surrendering eight hits, three earned runs, walked four, and struck out 13. He has an ERA of 2.25 and a whip of one. And a whip of one. Okay? Now, Montgomery has actually been more impressive. Uh, in his two games, six hits, no runs, three walks, nine strikeouts, or eight strikeouts, uh, and an ERA of zero, a whip of .81. Uh, the one thing that stands out about Montgomery is that in his first game as a Cardinal was against his former team, the Yankees, and he held them to just two hits and one walk over five innings. Now, you can't talk about the Cardinals without talking about the uh, what some and many people are considering the leading MVP candidate, which, and that's first baseman Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, his slash line right now, 328, 413, 612, 28 home runs, 89 RBIs. He's drawn 58 walks, struck out only 98 times in 469 plate appearances. Now, to give you some perspective, last year, in the entire year, he hit 294, 365, 514 with 31 home runs, 99 RBIs, 67 walks, and 136 strikeouts. So with 48 games left in the season, it seems extremely likely Goldie would be well over the 30 home run mark. His career high is 36. That could be within reach. Uh, and easily be over the 100 RBI mark. And he's done that three times before in his career, uh, with his high being 125. Uh, if his hitting continues, he will post his highest batting average ever, and he currently leads the major leagues in batting average, slugging percentage, OPS with the one with a 1,026, OPS plus with a 193. He's currently fourth in home runs, uh, with six behind leader Kyle Schwarber, and only one behind third place Pete Alonso, and two behind second place Austin Riley. He has scored. Uh, is second, excuse me, in RBIs, eight behind Pete Alonso. He's fifth in doubles, first in offensive war with a 6.0. Austin Riley and Manny Machado are second with a 4.9. That tells you the split there. He's a six, they're at 4.9. That tells you what kind of season the guy is having here, people. Uh, for all players, he is third with a 6.1 behind second place Nolan Ar and teammate Nolan Arenado, who has a 6.2. And former Cardinal, Sandy Alcantara, uh, who is 6.3. He's second in war for position players with a 6.1, again, behind Arenado. 
Uh, Goldie leads the league in base out runs added, win probability added, situational wins added, championship WPA, and base out wins added. Uh, then you add, uh, so you know, you, you add what he's done uh, just defensively, and it's an MVP season. I, I don't care how you slice it, it is an MVP season. Uh, uh, then you have Nolan Arenado, who's, uh, again, uh, I, I, I've, you, you watch him play, you watch some of the plays he makes, and it's just it's just phenomenal what he does. Um, and he's having a really good offensive season himself, 297, 364, 559, 25 home runs, 73 RBIs. Then you have El Hombre, who, since the All-Star game, in 13 games, has 39 plate appearances. He's hitting 389, 436, 806, with four home runs and 10 RBIs. And this isn't his last 13 games since the All-Star game. He now has 689 career home runs after hitting two on Sunday against Milwaukee. The Cardinals are also 10-3 and three in that same stretch of 13 games. And now most of his damage is coming against left-handed pitching, and we can't deny that or, or just gloss over it. Uh, against left-handers, he is raking it. Uh, 351, 386, 662, with six home runs, 17 RBIs. <coughs> but even though his splits, excuse me, versus right-handing pitching may not be as lofty, uh, 176, 282, 315, he does have four home runs and 13 RBIs against right-handed pitching uh, this year. So he's still producing. Uh, now he's, for the... Uh, uh, month of uh, July, he hit uh, 320, 364, 580 with three home runs and seven RBIs. And in August, he's hitting 368, 429, 895 with three home runs and six RBIs. So, um, you know, for those who said uh, bringing him back was a waste of time, I'm going to have to differ with you on that. I mean, he's got a, uh, he's 11 home runs shy of 700. Uh, I don't know if he can make that or not, but it would really be so cool if he could. I mean, it really would. You know, Paul DeYoung, since, since his return from the minor leagues after being demoted, uh, he's hitting 292, 375, 646 with four home runs and 13 RBIs and only 56 plate appearances. So he's been maintaining uh, a hot streak since he's been back. And then you have the kids. You got Brendan Donovan, 281, with a 397 on base mark. Is uh, now his slugging is not that great. I think he's around 350 on slugging. Uh, only three home runs and 300 plate appearances. But he does have 14 doubles. He's driven in 30 runs. Plus his versatility, being able to play shortstop, second base, third base, and the outfield, um, kind of reminds me of a certain secret weapon. I don't want to say. Possible. Just throw it out there. Uh, Nolan Gorman, another young kid who has struggled at times, but there's no doubt uh, that he has shown what he can do. I mean, his slash does show the struggle, the 242, 315, 465, but 13 home runs in 238 plate appearances, and he's driven in 28 RBIs. He's playing very good second base, um, and I think in the last month he's hitting well above 300. So, uh, he's bringing it on at the right time, getting hot. 
Uh, Lars Newtbar since July has hit 308, 406, 539, three home runs, 14 RBIs in just 96 playing appearances, and has filled in all over the outfield. Uh, now, that's not to say we're not having some issues. Tyler O'Neill, who had a really good June, 354, 385, 521, has had his struggles since coming back from the uh, injury. Uh, and uh, July has not been, you know, the last couple months have not been his friend. Uh, 181, 281, 333 for a slash. I think he's only got a couple home runs uh, in that stretch. But he's showing a little bit more lately. Uh, he was a big part of the uh, uh, win the other night against Milwaukee. Dylan Carlson. And this kid's getting a raw deal. I mean, I, I wish the fans would just shut up about Dylan Carlson right now. People are blaming him for not getting Juan Soto. Well, you know, wah, wah, cry my eyes out. Uh, Carlson is an all-around good player. Is he the hitter Juan Soto is? No. I will say that, and I will agree with that 1,000%. He does not have the power of Juan Soto. Um, and uh, he may not be as good a hitter. I mean, he's only hitting 236, 306, 395. But he has had some very good moments. And in that la in the Sunday's game against Milwaukee, he, you know, he he brought us back. So, uh, you know, get off his back, people. It's not his fault. Um, and, and quite frankly, if if I'm um, John Mosellock in the front office, and Washington is trying to sell me. Juan Soto, um, you know, we had no need for Josh Bell. And he's trying to sell me Juan Soto, and he wants Nolan Gorman and, and Dylan Carlson um, and a pitcher or two. Uh, I'm going to look at him and say, are you nuts? You know, I said it a couple weeks ago uh, on, the, on, on the Juan Soto deal that, you know, you trade um, Carlson, now you have nobody to play center field, and you've downgraded right field considerably with Soto. So, uh, you know, Mosaic had to look at that and say, no, this, this this can't happen. You know, as good as Soto is, you know, we can't make an, a positive out of, an, out of two negatives. And there would have been two negatives because I guarantee you they were going to deal Harrison Bader for Montgomery. They had to for pitching. Uh, now, maybe if they would if they would have traded Carlson, they would have, maybe they would have traded Burleson and another uh, minor leaguer uh, for uh, Montgomery, or maybe they'd have traded Newt Barr and, and, a, and a pitcher or something like that. Uh, but when you can get a pitcher like Montgomery for Bader, you got to do it and then say no to Soto because it's just that's just all the way to it. I, you can't. You can't sit there and put and get all the bright and shiny new toys and um, sell yourself short in areas. At least that's in my opinion. I, I know a lot of people think I'm in. Uh, I, I'm got bats in my belfry for that, but you know, hey, that's just the way it is. Uh, now as for the pitching, uh, besides Quintana and Montgomery, you know, what can you say about Miles Michaelis and Adam Wainwright that hasn't been said already this year? Both those guys have been just flat out phenomenal pitching late into games. Uh, both of them have a complete game. And, you know, you look at their stats, they're <laughs> they're about as close as two guys could get. 
Michaelis, 24 starts, 9 and 9, 3.44 ERA, 1.4, or excuse me, 149 and 1/3 innings, uh, one complete one complete game as I said, 114 strikeouts, 27 walks, 3.71 FIP and a 1.058 WHIP. Wainwright, 23 starts, 8 and 8, 3.27 ERA, a 143 and 1/3 innings, one complete game, 116 strikeouts and only 39 walks, a 3.71 FIP and a 1.193 WHIP. Um, you know, so if, if Quintana and Montgomery can keep up what they're doing, uh, and you've got Michaelis and Wainwright being as steady as they have been, you know, you've got four, you've got a good four-man rotation that I will take into the playoffs against anyone. I, I'm serious right now as a heart attack. Uh, then you have rookie Andre Pallante who filled in and played a huge role keeping this team afloat until they got uh, uh, got the help in there. Um, in 31 games and 10 starts, including 10 starts, he's 5 and 4 with a 3.03 ERA, 89 innings innings pitched with 70, 64 Ks, 29 walks, a 3.86 FIP, and a 1.382 WHIP. As a starter, not as good as a starter really. I mean, statistic-wise, I mean, but he has pitched pitched very well as a starter. Uh, I think only one bad game is what's caused I think these numbers to be wonky, but. In 10 games as a starter, he's 3-3 three three with the 3.98 ERA, 54 and a third innings pitch, 40 strikeouts, 16 walks, and a 1.417 whip. As a reliever, 21 games, he's 2-1 with a 1.56 ERA. Say that again, 1.56 ERA coming out of the pen. 34 and two-thirds innings, 24 Ks, 13 walks, and a 1.327 whip. Uh, now, I had big hopes for Dakota Hudson. Uh, who has looked good at times, but you have to kind of also remember this is his first full year after Tommy John surgery, so you gotta have you're gonna have a little inconsistency, and that's been his biggest thing. Uh, he's logged a fair amount of innings, 110 innings, so he's been there, given us some innings, but he's got an ERA above four and only 62 strikeouts to 50 walks. So hopefully he can get that turned around. Um, and I think that's what's going to have the rest of the season with with Dakota Hudson. He's going to be, you know, off and on. So uh, hopefully next year uh, he can get back to being the pitcher that I think he will be. And now, like last year, the bullpen has been strong, a strong point, even with questionable talent at times. And I'm talking about uh, guys like Verhagen, Wittgren, uh, uh, McFarland. Uh, but uh, Ryan Helsley has emerged to be the late-inning guy and the go-to guy for tough situations uh, and multiple innings, and he's kind of doing it all right now. In 39 games, Helsley is 6-1 and one, uh, with 48 and two-thirds innings, 12 saves, has a .92 ERA, 71 strikeouts to just 13 walks, a FIP of 1.8, and a WHIP of 0.67. Now, last year's closer in the back half of the season, Giovanni Gallegos, has had his issues, but certainly not horrible. Uh, 40 games, he's got 42 and a third innings pitched. Uh, two and five uh, with a 3.4 ERA, 11 saves, 53 strikeouts to 11 walks, and a 1.063 whip. Uh, he's had some issues. He's had uh, uh, some control, uh, not necessarily control, but uh Pitching issues as far as being able to place and, and giving up some runs, um, 
but he's still very he still can be very effective. So I think they've got a pretty decent one two punch. And now you add Palente and this next guy, Jordan Hicks, into the mix. Now Jordan Hicks, I, I as I said earlier in a couple podcasts ago, him being a starter uh, trying to make him a starter at the major league level and stretch him out just was not going to work, and it didn't. He ended up injured again. Uh, but since he's come back from his injury um, and back in the bullpen, uh, he's 3-2 and two with a 4.12 ERA, 19 and two-thirds innings, 19 strikeouts, and 10 walks, um, pitching well out of the bullpen. Um, so gives you makes it just that much stronger. Now you add other guys in there like Packy Naughton and Genesis Cabrera, who... You know, have had some issues, but they've put in some good innings for this team. Um, and with guys no longer around, like Drew Verhagen and T.J. McFarland, uh, I think the pen is probably stronger than it ever has been. Uh, now, the Redbirds currently lead the division by a game and a half and a schedule that has heavy with games against the Cubs, Reds, and Pirates. So keeping hold of the Central Division may not be a breeze, but I like our chances. I'll tell you that right now. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, that does it for me this week. As always, check out GatewayCitySports.com. Check out the show's website, this show's website, TalkingSports-OTB-GCS.OnPodium.com. Look out for look for this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, when you go to backtrack, when you go to the website, uh, the show's website, uh, subscribe to the website and get notifications on new episodes that are posted. Uh, contact the show via Twitter at at tsotbgcs, or you can t- contact me personally at big d underscore gcs. Now I want to programming note here. Be sure to tune in next week because we're going to have some fun, po- folks. I will have the A-Train, Arlington Lane, as my guest, and we're going to be talking NFL football. So, until I see you again, be safe, have fun, come on back so we can talk sports on the bleachers. Goodbye for now. Thanks again for joining us. And you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.